And uh, that happens to be what the Lord gave me for this morning. Remember. Remember. I'm good at forgetting. I'm not so great at remembering. But uh, we're going to look at remembering in the word of God this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before your presence in the name of Jesus. I thank you for the worship leaders. And I thank you for the people who have come out this morning who had the time and the opening in their schedules, Lord, to begin this event that the pastor has called for. And Lord, we call upon you to be the Lord over all of it, even as the pastor has already prayed. We surrender ourselves right now in this first service to your word. We invite and ask you to move by the power of your Holy Spirit to speak to us, Lord God, to break through our hearts, to clear out every stony place, to circumcise our ears, Lord God, to open our eyes, to soften every place in us, Lord God, to your word and to harden us to the world, Lord God. Turn everything around, Lord, that's backwards. Turn everything right side up that's upside down. Have your way in us, your temple, mighty God. Revive us, Lord God, to be that body that you created and called us to be. We will give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, Lord God. Move through every speaker, every musician, every singer. Sanctify us wholly unto you, God. Have your way, Lord God, that we might be your glorious church and that we might be able by your light and holiness to attract those that are lost and wandering in this city, Lord, and everywhere we touch. Oh God, as Sister Gretchen has proclaimed, let your spirit reach beyond these walls. Even now, Lord God, deal with people all over this city and this valley. Let them remember who you are, Lord God, by the power of your Holy Ghost. No man can come except the Holy Spirit draw him. And we ask for that miracle to happen, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise you, Lord. Let's start in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. There's never been a revival that's ever happened in the history of the church, either in the word of God or in uh, the thousands of years after the word of God was recorded, that didn't start with remembering. Praise you, Lord. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and thou shalt put them as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Praise you, Lord. I think he's serious about us loving him, thinking about him, diligently remembering, talking about, teaching, and putting before us the word of God. Now, in this day, they literally put portions of the scripture and tied them on their wrists. So every time that they saw their wrists, they reminded of the word of God and their covenant with the almighty God. The priests put them on their heads. I forget the, the Hebrew names for these, these things. And it was always between their eyes, and that was symbolic of that the word of God is to dwell in the forefront and the whole of our mind 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that we're not to be ashamed of it when we go out, that it can be seen by everybody who looks at us. They see the word of God before they see your face. They were to put it on their gates when they went in and when they went out, on their doorposts when they went in and went out. You know, we could forget God between the door and the gate. That's what we're like. They were to talk about it when they got up, when they walked by the way, when they sat down, and when they laid down. That's all the time. You know, what else do we do? 
what else do we do? He covered everything. And we are so accustomed to compartmentalizing God into the parts of our life. Wednesday night, my, even if we're, if we're so blessed as to have a morning prayer time that we reserve for him. And then our mentality is, I gave my, God my time, now I'm going to go do what I do and he's going to bless me. He wants to be Lord, Savior, King every moment of the day. If we cannot understand that except for the word and the presence and the power of God, we're completely blind. We're like those little, my daughters used to laugh. They saw pictures of a blind, naked mole rat once. And it was the funniest looking, most helpless little thing. And I thought, you know, that's like us. Without the Holy Spirit, we have no capacity to see in the spirit. There are demonic spirits running to and fro this earth right now. And you and I are the marked target. And how presumptuous we are to run out there helpless, naked, without our armor, without the word dwelling in our mind, out there amongst demonic spirits that want to destroy us and put out the light of Jesus Christ from this world. And if God doesn't let him destroy us, he's satisfied to just put out the light. And he's very good at it. And he actually loves it when our light is out, but we go around with the name of Christ as a poor witness Praise you, Lord. Chapter 7. No, chapter 6, verse 12. He just talked to them about all the blessings. I'm going to give you everything that you need. I'm going to give you homes, and I'm going to bless your your crops. I'm going to give you everything. You're going to have water. You're going to have everything you need to live. But in verse 12, then beware. We could all circle that word, beware, watch out, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. God knows us. He knows we can look back at at Adam and Eve in the garden in the middle of paradise with everything that they had need of with God who came. God came to them every day to walk with them in the cool of the day, to speak with them. They had absolutely everything. And in the midst of that, they managed to forget the truth of God and believe a lie. And so it's always God's desire to bless in abundance, to pour out, to give us everything that we have need of. But he knows that it is our way that when we have what we need, we think we don't need him. Verse 4, for, um, you know, verse 13, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him. Did I even finish? Uh, back to 12. Then beware lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. Isn't it funny that when we're in the place of abundance and blessing and prosperity, not just money, but just things prospering, our prayers prospering, our life prospering, that we lose fear of God. We start to be overly familiar with God, and God's blessing me, God likes me, and we get real comfortable with ourselves. Uh, Verse 14, ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you, for the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Now, in the day we live in, we don't usually, although I've experienced it, I went to a friend's house and she had a bunch of crystals and she wanted me to experience praying to the crystals with her, which, of course, I, I did not do. But um, in that day, it was normal, if they were living amongst the heathen, that you go into their house, which they weren't supposed to do, they would have altars to heathen gods. They would have idols. We don't so much have that today. But what about the idols of our society and the people in our society that don't know God? Say, for instance, sports, which sports is good and great, and and God's given us that to exercise by, but we've turned it into a god, into an idol, into a place of worship. And what about when um, we think it's okay to, to skip church or it doesn't even occur to us with some of the entertainments that permeate our society to ask God, should I, should I watch this event? Should I go to this event? Is it possible 
that God might want my time right now? No, God fits in around all of these entertainments and vacations and, and everything that we do now. We don't inquire, like James said, we don't, we don't say, God, if you be willing, I'd like to do this. We make our plans, and, and then we come boldly and say, God, bless it. And we use his word and his promises to bless what we want, and we don't inquire. That's when, in the time of the kings, that's when Israel got in trouble over and over again. They presumed upon God. They didn't ask, and they would go off to battle and lose and then come back with their tail between their legs and say, what happened, God? But we need to live that way moment to moment. I use sports just as something to kind of break into our psyche of what is it that we actually put before God, usually trivial things, and we don't even realize that we do it in our blessed, prosperous society that we live in. You know, if you've ever visited third world nations and you see people who, who are lucky to have food every day, and you think about that. And the funny thing is, you're a lot more inclined to think about God when you're hungry, when you're starving, when you're in need, when you're in danger. And yet God doesn't want us to live that way, but he will let it come upon us because he is a jealous God. If that's what he's got to do to knock down our idols, if we won't clean our own house, things can happen to get a hold of our heart. Praise you, Lord. Uh, go over to chapter 8 now. Praise you, Jesus. We're his house. We're his temple. He's got to clean us up to the uttermost if we are ever going to be empowered with his Holy Spirit to such a degree that we can have an actual move of God upon society. If God were to move in us in our present condition by the power of his Holy Spirit, it would destroy some of us because there's so much sin in our lives that we are not even aware of. Think about it. Ask him. Praise you, Jesus. Uh, chapter 8, verse 2. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness talking to the children of Israel, the father is, and he says, to humble thee. They were out there in the wilderness with absolutely uh, no home, didn't know what the plan was from day to day. They were 100% dependent on God when they woke up every day to direct them, to feed them, to give them water, humbled them. We need to stay in that humbled place. Every day, I have to remind myself, uh, just because, you know, there's not some machine guns down the street and there's food in my refrigerator does not mean that I can get up and go about my day and I don't need God. I don't need his presence. I don't need his guidance. I know what I'm doing. We have to remind ourselves. Um, where was I? Um, to humble thee, to prove thee to know what was in thine heart. Adversity proves us. We see that in the book of Job. Uh, as much adversity as could be heaped upon one man was heaped upon him, and like those precious jewels that uh, Sister Gretchen spoke of last night, he came through that fire and showed that he was a jewel in the hand of God. Everything was burned away from him, and all that was left was his treasured relationship between him and God, that was it. Everything else was burned away. He takes us through adversity to prove us that we might know what is in our heart, whether we would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna. Look at that. He suffered them to hunger. In today's gospel, the, the imaginary God that is being preached today would never suffer anyone to hunger. He would never suffer anyone to have need. And the truth is, he said, I've never, David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. Well, starvation and hunger is two different things, if anybody's ever fasted. He will suffer our flesh to cry out. He will suffer our flesh to lack what it thinks it needs. Because what our flesh thinks it needs and what is spiritually necessary are two different things. 
And we'll never learn the difference if, if our flesh never cries out, if we don't ever let God take us through those places of hunger and, and need it. We learn to discern the truth from a lie, the spiritual from the flesh, by, by reason of use. And this comes by relationship and submission to God Almighty. He doesn't expect us to stay like one- and two-year-old toddlers that believe everything our flesh says and wander around crying out, all the time, why I want this, why I want that, why I need this, why I feel this way, why I feel that way. That's how we live. We live in an emotional Christianity. I, I, I'm still enjoying what Pastor uh, Summer said a couple of weeks ago that we're like um, bipolar Christians. You know, we ride on the waves of our emotions rather than the Word of God. We exalt our emotions in this society to such a degree. I mean, the psychological field is just raking in the bucks because everybody needs to be happy all the time. And if you're not happy all the time, you need a pill. There's something wrong with you. Well, where's travail? Where's weeping? Where's repentance? Where's sorrow? Where's mourning? God did not make us to be little happy robots. The gamut of emotions is from God. We're supposed to grow up and learn how to control them. And thank God we've been given the assistance of the Holy Spirit. So there's really no excuse. Now, if somebody's on psych drugs, please, you know, seek God because it's, 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 it's a jungle and you have to have his assistance to get off if, if that's where you're at. And you need to learn. It's a learned thing to learn to depend on the Holy Spirit for everything that you need. And so it's a walk. If you have to walk out of something like that, he'll walk you out of it. Um, praise you, Jesus. In the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep the commandment or not. He humbled thee, suffered thee to hunger, fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. And you know they complained about that. And you know we do that. God gives us exactly what we need. In this case, it fell from heaven. And we can still complain about it. Oh, God, give me what I need. Give me what I need. Oh, God, in this area, give me what I need. I'm just crying out for what I need. And he sends it and it's like, I don't want that. What I meant to say was, I want what I want, God. Give me what I want, God. Give me what I want, God. Which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know. You know, that's beautiful right there. When you do seek after God and you cry out for what he has for your life, he will give you things you don't know, things that are unfamiliar to you. And that's exciting. It's an exciting walk. It's an adventure. There's so much to the levels of God that we do not know and perceive. He's so much deeper. We have a little two-dimensional photo of, of Jesus and we and you know mentally spiritually we think that's it and we have barely scratched the surface or tapped into who our God is I was I was uh, listening to my audio Bible the other day while I was cleaning the house and was talking about Solomon and his wisdom and the incredible wisdom that God gave to that human being and it retained he retained it even when he was in sin and marrying heathen wives it was a gift from God and the gifts from God are without repentance and it says that he in his wisdom that he would talk about plants and trees, and he would talk about the animals, and he would talk about scientific things, and that kings from all over the world would come to hear his wisdom. And I just thought, that is so cool. I went, I went to my Bible to look at it because I never noticed that before. You know, King Solomon was there giving lectures on science. And don't ever let anybody tell you that science and, and, and the gospel are opposed. They are not. Science is of God. There's nothing that's been created that he did not create and for his pleasure. And he knows absolutely everything. And I just thought that was so cool because the word says that the whole creation declares the glory of God, that, that we're without excuse. If you can see a leaf for the sun rising and setting every morning or the ocean being held back by who knows what, you're without excuse. There's a God. And his handiwork is everywhere. And so to learn about the creation is a, is a wonderful thing. And the Holy Ghost will teach you about the creation. The Holy Ghost talks to my daughter through her dogs. It's pretty darn funny. Um, he created those guys, you know. And he can speak to us through anything as long as it lines up with his word. Um, hmm. 
So uh, neither did thy fathers know about that manna, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread uh, only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Do you know what that's saying right here in verse 3? It's really saying that there's no way for us to really find that out, that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. We really can't find that out to its depths without hungering, without some form of fasting, without some form of chastening the flesh. Because when we're already full and we take our little tidbits of what we like, our little desserts from the Word of God, my favorite chapter that I've read for 15 years. Oh, I don't want to read that chapter. That's boring. Um, when we take those parts of God that we just enjoy because we're just already full and that's just all we need. But when you're hungry, have you ever, for uh, reasons out of your control or through fasting, gone for many days? And have you ever ex experienced craving a food that you wouldn't have touched before there's hungers and needs inside of your body that never get answered because we surfeit it and we fill ourselves with what we like and we're missing vitamins and minerals and nutrients and it's like that in the spirit and if we don't ever get hungry i guarantee you we're going to be missing parts of the word parts of the spirit that we need we have to get into that place of hunger and separation to even begin to feel our own spiritual hunger, to even to begin to feel how needy that we are, to even be able to see and hear what the Holy Ghost is saying to us about what's unpleasing in us. We're so thick and so hard that we don't, you know, your sister or brother can look at you and say, man, I don't know how they live with that glaring sin in their life. And everybody else can see it but me, because I'm hard and I'm apathetic, and if I don't let God take me where I need to go to open my eyes, you see, because God loves me and I'm blessed. I can point to all the blessings. Obviously, he's with me, so there couldn't be anything wrong with me. But there's things in each of us. It says if we're his sons, he's going to chasten us. Marty preached a few uh, weeks ago that if you're not abiding in the vine, that you're going to be uh, cut off and thrown in the fire because you're not good for anything. But if you are bringing forth fruit, yay, you get to get pruned. That's our reward. So we can bring forth more fruit. And so just the fact that as this word is coming out and we feel like, well, I know there's nothing wrong in my life, is a good indication that we're pretty tough-skinned concerning the Holy Spirit. Because I guarantee you there's things that are there. I think of a, a young man in, in Scotland that I read about because uh, our uh, son-in-law's from Scotland, and in the very town that he's from, city actually, Dundee, in the 1800s there was a, a man named Robert Murray McShane and since I discovered him, I see him quoted all over the place by the great Christian writers. That man, I believe, had a two- or a three-year ministry in his 20s, and then he passed away. He did more to impact the earth and his generation than most of us do with a 90-year life. He was so full of the love and the hunger and the Spirit of God. And his words are so beautiful, but he, he lived in a revival. His entire ministry was a revival. People just pouring into his church for salvation. And the presence of God was so great and so real, and the word was so sharp and so true that people were truly saved and changed. And Dundee was a port town, and it was, it was plagued with alcoholism and prostitution. And God raised up that young man to be an answer to that and gave him such a heart like that. Um, I'm not even sure what made me think of that right now. Um, something that I was reading here. Um, talking about, just talking about, yeah, living by uh, 
every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God and, and not just by bread alone. He talked about spending two and three hours every morning with the Lord and that he would not even attempt to interact with human beings before he interacted with his Lord. And he talked about how that once you sacrifice that, that time, it's gone. Anybody ever experienced that? Oh, yeah, this is important. I'll do this and I'll get back to the Lord later and you don't because the day just carries you away. And, and he talked a lot about those things. And so he would get up uh, before the sun because he so treasured the word, the living word of God. He understood that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And just the fact that we being Christians, bearing his name, having had salvation experience, can read the word right here. It's in the New Testament too. And we say we believe it, but we can go for days and, and not get into his word and presume that God understands. But we get, our, we, get our, we get our food for the body. We get our bread. We fit that in three times, a couple snacks. But God understands I didn't have any time for his word the last three days. Think about it. So we say we believe his word, but we all have our favorite meals and our favorite snacks in the word. And we ignore the parts that convict our lifestyle and show something else. But the Lord is calling us up higher because he doesn't want us to miss out. When I think of that young man and the things I've read about him and how much he was able to glean and how much moved through that short life, it was like that for Christ. So sold out to the Father, he didn't say or do anything except what the Holy Ghost revealed to him the Father was saying and the Father was doing and how much fruit, obviously he's, he's Christ, but how much fruit he, he gleaned. I mean, put aside the fact that he yielded himself to the death on the cross and look at just how many people he touched leading up to that. How many people were kill, uh, killed, healed, cast out all the devils, healed all the sick get up the next day and do it again. I mean, most of us would be so deficient in the love of God that after about three days of being pressed upon by the multitudes, it'd be like, Peter, John, you know, get me out of here, send them away. I'm so sick of these people. You know, don't they understand I need rest? The love of God so shed abroad in his heart that's available to you and I, the Holy Spirit without measure. And I love the fact that Christ, with all that power, all that power from the throne never exalted himself in any way. A Christian gets a little dab of the Holy Ghost and suddenly it's like, me, myself, and I, ministries. I'm the thing. Come and see me and I'll only charge you $100. And here's, here's my revelation of the word and it only costs you this much to buy it and Put a picture of me on your refrigerator and God will answer all you. I mean, we're just amazing. That's what I'm talking about when I said if we were to operate in the kind of Holy Ghost power that's available to us, it would destroy most of us. That's what I'm talking about. Our sin, our pride, our flesh. You know, the, those brothers, when we were doing ministry in Africa and the brother going over there and charging those Africans who have nothing, hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay for the gas for his jet. I, if he doesn't repent and get a clue, you know, I wouldn't want to have to answer to God for that. That's what I'm talking about. It would destroy us. There's hidden places in our heart. Now, if you talk to that brother, you know, he's convinced he's God's favorite. He's holy. He's right. And he can't see the glaring sin of something like that. And many other such things like that we saw over there. Um. Okay, let's skip over to verse 11, same chapter. We are to live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Not by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And a large part of the church is starving to death. 
Verse 11, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. Oh, I just want to bring out again. Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, not our favorite words, not some this doctrine, that doctrine, the other doctrine, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. Well, I have my favorite doctrine memorized. Well, that's nice, but you have to live by every word. Like I talked about with our fleshly bodies, we'll crave sugar and never eat any nourishing food if we don't allow our body to um, be in the right place, to suffer hunger and tell us what it really needs. Uh, verse 11, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. Beware that thou forget not. This is the second time. He just said that in chapter 6. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Well, Sister Debbie, that's Old Testament. We're not under the law anymore. Well, Jesus said that not one jot or tittle will pass away from the word. Actually, he said that in Revelation. But he said that, um, that the law is not done away with, but that he fulfilled it. And how did he fulfill it? He lived by the power of the same Holy Ghost that's been given to you and I. It came upon him without measure. We are to keep the commandments, but we don't do it in our own power. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and we know that. We know that you can't say I'm a Christian and go murder somebody. But we do think I can be a Christian and I can talk bad about my sister. And um, whatever it is that we allow ourselves. And then we kind of put it under this sloppy, weird heading of I'm, I'm in the New Testament. You know, so God doesn't deal with my every little everything. Well, yes, he does. Yes, he does. And we couldn't possibly keep track of it. And thank God we're not having to offer something every time we mess up. There'd be a lot of dead animals. But Christ did it once and for all. But he said if we're, if we're faithful to come to him and confess. Well, if we're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be confessing anything. And I myself and brothers and sisters that I've known, it's amazing what I've seen them stand up for their sin because their hearts are so hard. We can be so deceived. They'll stand up and declare that their sin is okay. And they're that hard to the Holy Ghost that they, there's no shame, there's no repentance. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. In not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks and multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, because this is exactly what God intended to do for them, this is what God would like to do for everybody, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God. And thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Verse 18, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto the fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day, you shall surely perish. Doesn't that sound like the garden? If you eat of this fruit, you will surely perish. And the serpent said, oh, no, 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 you're not going to perish. And, um, you know, like I, I said before, that was a half-truth because they didn't perish instantly, but they began to die. And this verse 19 says, if you do at all, if you do at all, Forget the Lord thy God. In other words, you could say, if you do in any little way, forget the Lord thy God. If you at all, in any little bit, forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods. Well, I go to church every Sunday, and I do the things that I think are important to God, but then in this area, I do what I want, and I kind of think I maybe remember that the word doesn't like this, but I do it anyways. The word promises that you shall surely perish. So some of us, 
have parts of our lives that are flourishing and parts of our lives that are perishing. And you know, life and death can't abide together. You're either going to get convicted and clean up that dying part, or that dying part's going to choke out the word. I just heard of a sister recently. It started with a little compromise, a little compromise. It's been like a year. Now she's in big compromise. And I could almost guarantee you if I went to her, she would think she was fine with God because we become blinded, hard of heart with our sin. Remember when he kept saying about Pharaoh? Pharaoh would change his mind and then would say, the Lord hardened his heart so that he wouldn't do the right thing and so that he could keep... That always bugged the heck out of me. I'm like, this is not fair, you know? Not that I like Pharaoh, but it doesn't seem fair. You keep hardening his heart. And I felt like the Lord showed me the other day he only hardened what was already in Pharaoh's heart so that he wouldn't have like a, a surface repentance, like a, a doing the right thing for the wrong reason. But rather, he solidified, God would come and solidify what was really in Pharaoh's heart and cause him to act on that. And it's like that with us. What is really in our heart, we are going to act it out eventually. And it will come to the place where God will harden our heart so that we will act on what's really in there and so that we and everybody else can see it and we have a chance for repentance. Um, gosh, where was I? I'm sorry. Lift up. Let's go to verse 18. No, we did 18, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. Remember the Lord thy God. Don't forget. Remember, don't forget. Remember, don't forget. Um, because we will surely perish if we forget him at all. There is death in forgetting God in our ways, in our life, in our heart. Amen. Let's go to Second Chronicles 29. Now, in the history of Israel, we know you read the book of Judges. They forgot they remembered. They forgot they remembered. They forgot they remembered. They forgot God. The heathen would come and torment them. Oh, the light would go on. They'd remember God. This is not fun anymore. We're in bondage. We're in torment. All of our blessings are gone. All of our abundance is gone. I remember we had a God that's bigger than these guys, and he can help us. And the book of Judges, I've always said, anybody that thinks that the God of the Old Testament is hard and horrible and judgmental and mean, just read the book of Judges, because I would have fried all those people like in chapter 2. And, um, <laughs> and me not being any better, it's what I would have done. Um, just back and forth and back and forth, forget God. Remember him when we need him. Remember him when we're suffering. Remember him when we have need. He blesses us. He sets us free. Oh, we forget him. He's not a God who wants to just jump in and fix our mess and then pat us on the behind and send us on our way. He wants to be God. He wants relationship, fellowship, worship, adoration. When you look in the heavens and you see those, those creatures that do nothing but fall on their face, well, the elders fall on their face, the, worships, the creatures sing and worship and praise God day and night continually. And we're the blood-bought church, and we think we too got a favor when we come in on Sunday morning and maybe sing with half a heart. When he bought and purchased us to give him worship with every breath. Or I take my tongue and I run down my sister in the Lord or some poor lost person who doesn't know any better, and I'm going to heap my judgment on them instead of praying for them that's not what he purchased this mouth for that's not what he breathed the life of the holy ghost into me for praise you lord jesus i'm telling you the love of god is a real thing it's not an imaginary christian psyche mentality it's it's a living breathing thing and the church of god lacks it and if he were to bring the lost in here, they would smell our phony, I have on my loving face, and I'm going to pat you and everything, but there's no life of God, no river of God flowing out. They can tell the difference. 
That's God's trying to remove that debris. You, you read in the book of Nehemiah, when he remembered, he remembered Jerusalem. And he got bold. And when the, the king saw his countenance was fallen, he told him what was in his heart. I'm grieved for my Jerusalem. And God moved in a miraculous way, moved on the heart of that king, gave Nehemiah the authority, the money, everything he needed to go back and fix up the, the uh, Jerusalem, the city of God, and rebuild the walls. And when he was rebuilding the walls and the enemy would come, he would not be deterred from that work for anything. He's, he, what was the statement he made? Who am I that, I, you know, you're threatening me with all this stuff. Why would I stop to come down and talk with you? I'm about the business of the Lord. Um, he remembered. He remembered and he was sent on a great mission. God is looking for a people who will remember the purpose of the church so that he might give us the authority, the empowerment, and everything that we need to win the loss, to build the temple. We've been deceived into thinking, listening to the false prophets, that he came, he died, and he bought us to give us each an individual nice life to do our thing, and it's a lie. He's looking for somebody that remembers what he really said, who remembers what Jesus said to the disciples right before he was lifted up into heaven before their eyes. And he said, I'm going to be back. Well, what's he coming back for? He's coming back for what he told them to do, go into every nation and win the lost. We can't even go out our front door and win the lost in Bishop. Do we remember? Do we remember who we are? Do we remember who he is? We have such an imagination of a God that is not this God. And it's in all of us. We are affected by the society and the backslidden church that we live in. God, give us boldness. Give us love to reach out and do what you left us here to do. Let us not be so enamored with your blessings that we're obsessed, that we worship the blessings that you gave us, that we live for them, that we polish them, that we drag them into our house and arrange them day and night and take them out and get new ones. And Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you saved me to be a master of stuff. Oh, Lord, help us. Praise you, Jesus. I had shared one time, I was up in an airplane, and I was looking down at all the people, and I'm sure you've done this, and they look like little ants. And suddenly, like the, the, the mansions, and you're over L.A. and the Beverly Hills and Compton, and, and they all kind of start looking the same as you get up a little bit. They're all little boxes, you know. They've got bigger boxes. They've got smaller boxes. And everybody gets into their box to drive to the next box where they go buy stuff and take it back to their box. Or they go to another box to work to get money to go to this box to buy stuff to put it in the box that drives to the... And, you know, and these guys over here are working to get a bigger box to drive and a bigger box to live in. And, and you know, that perspective. And that's how we are. We get so caught up in it. And the Lord is looking for a people that he can bless, but that will not be affected by the blessings. And it takes work. It takes diligence. It takes every morning, every walking by the way, every sitting down, every meal, reminding myself I would not even have this food if not for the miracle of God. Even if I had the money to buy it, if God stops the crops, my money's not going to buy anything. If God stops the rain, like we've seen, if God allows the fire... We could wake up and not have anything tomorrow, no boxes, nothing. God, 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 help us. Of all people on the face of the earth, we're the ones that are supposed to know what matters. We're supposed to know. We're supposed to shine with something greater. And I don't know what's coming to our nation, but I know we better be ready. I know that, that if things don't go the way that they've been going and, and hardship hits us, God doesn't expect us to be sitting in, in sackcloth and ashes with everybody else. He expects us to be standing and shining and saying, yes, we've lost everything, but there's something greater. That's what he's expecting from us. So we better be preparing. Um, I, didn't even, I didn't even read here in, second, in 
Second Chronicles. So I'm just going to say that uh, Hezekiah remembered. His father was a very bad man. Let's go, let's go to 28 and look just for a second. <laughs> yeah, Second Chronicles 28. And we'll go with verse 21. And Ahaz took away a portion out of the house of the Lord. Chapter 28, verse 21. Ahaz took away a portion out of the house of the Lord and out of the house of the king and of the princes and gave it unto the king of Assyria, but he didn't help him. And in the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that king Ahaz. Even in distress he wasn't moved to repent. Verse 23, for he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him. And he said, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice to them that they may help me. Now, this is a man that forgot. This is a man that forgot that he had a God that was greater. How sad is that? But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. He's like that guy in France that 100 years ago or so declared that God is dead. Shut, shut up the house of God, nailed it closed. And in every several city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense unto other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his father. This was Hezekiah's dad. And this just shows, this just shows, and Gretchen brought this out the other night. He didn't sit around and blame anything on his dad. Oh, gosh, we're so good at that. I would be a better Christian. I could serve the Lord, Lord more, but I had this really bad daddy and a bad mommy. And so I have to have this compromise in my life because I can't help it because my mom called me names and my dad wasn't there or whatever. Look at this guy's dad. Total, total demonic being. This guy was given over to devils trying to wipe God out of uh, Judah. But Hezekiah, born of him, because that's just how God is. Hezekiah, born of this very man who tried to declare God dead, began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned nine and 20 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And in that day, which was, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. Verse 3. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street. You know, sometimes it just takes a leader. You know, those priests and Levites, they were all there. They were scattered. The king didn't honor them. They just went to whatever kind of normal life was going on. And he had to open up the house of God and shine the light and call them all back to the service of the Lord. And in this hour, we have got mega churches all over the country. You can go and sit in them service after service, and you'll be lucky if you even hear the name of Jesus Christ. And if you do, it will be on even level with Islam and, and you know, all of the weird stuff of the day, all of this, all the, what, do, what do you call Eastern mysticism and all of that. And um, it's, it's almost the same. We were in Scotland, and my daughter Mariah was just absolutely dumbfounded and shocked. We were walking down the street, and we were looking at their beautiful old churches, and we came upon this beautiful church in the evening. And the closer we got, we're like, well, look, there's a lot of people going in that church because we had noticed how dead the church life was there. And the closer we got, we realized that this beautiful cathedral was now a nightclub. And everybody was going in there to party. And she, she just stood there in the street for at least 10 minutes, just dumbfounded. It just blew her away that that process could happen to where it didn't, nobody even thought anything of it. 
because the disrespect for God slowly, slowly, slowly brought them to that place. And you know, the disrespect for God began with disrespect for God's people. We have a, a heavy responsibility. We bear his name. We're actually supposed to look and act like him. God help me. To the point that they that the whole the city had to approve that. And I'm sure that there must have been a voice here or there, but that's how far gone. That's where we're headed. That's really where we're headed in our country. And as long as the church, you know, some of us in the church are making a lot of noise, but if you really read between the lines and listen, we're more into a Christian culture than Christ himself. My daughter was at a, uh, a um, campaign event for, um, who's the brother, the black brother that's running for president, the, the, Ben Carson. Uh, she and her sister went to an event last night. And um, they got to meet him and listen to him talk. But she said what really struck her was it was a lot of people that are supporting him that were there. And she said there were a lot of wealthy people. But she said they all talked about God. They were different kinds of denominations and stuff. But she said that they were all drinking. Everybody was drinking their drinks and talking about God and talking about how we needed a man in the White House that would bring our country back to God. <laughs> so it, it was such a perfect picture of what I'm talking about. That slide, that slide that we are all capable of. And we need to remember, we need to get in here and remember, we need to not forget in any way, to forget not at all who our God is, what he has said, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. God is the same. He has not changed. Amen. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He told the, the priest in Malachi, I'm the same. I haven't changed. Therefore, you're not all dead because you still a God of mercy, even in that hour. And that, you know, his mercy messes us up because he doesn't send lightning or whatever, we start changing his word. Oh, well, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm drinking. I'm drinking in church. You know, there's churches where you go, you have a drink first so you can get relaxed and really worship God. He said it the other day, joking, but it exists. A young, a young uh, friend of ours in Reno the, uh, was uh, given a position as a worship leader in a larger church. Two churches were we're meeting, he asked us to pray for him because he was going to be the head over all of the both teams. And, and then he told me, he said, I have, a, I have a little bit of an issue. And I didn't know his lifestyle that well. He said, pray for me. He said, um, everybody wants to drink before practice. And he goes, and, you know, I drink, but I don't know if I feel good about us all drinking before practice. He said, because everybody says it makes them feel a little better and they can worship the Lord better. And he had no idea who he was talking to. You know, it was like. <laughs> and, uh, but at any rate, that's the kind of thing that's going on all over the place. And then what next? Has anybody ever read uh, David Wilkerson's book, The Vision, that he wrote in the 60s or 70s? Yeah. And uh, the church leaders of his day, that's when they pretty much turned their back on him and said, this guy is a nut. He talked about uh, naked people on general cable television. He talked about the drinking and the fornication and the divorce in the church. And he talked about the day coming where there would be naked worship services with people admiring the body God gave them. And you know what? That doesn't seem too far away to me right now. I mean, the churches are also dark. You can't see anyways. If you've ever been into any of the modern churches, they're all painted black like a bar. I was watching, I, you know, I've always enjoyed the 700 Club, and I've always liked Brother, uh, what's his name? 700 Club guy. Pat Robertson. Yeah, thank you. And um, sometimes some of the stuff he says or his sons say, I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. Somebody wrote in and asked the question of his son on the air. They're playing rock and roll music just secular rock and roll music like the Doobie Brothers or something for worship. 
They're not even bothering to change the words. Musicians do that a lot. I love the world, I love rock and roll, but I'm a Christian now, so I'll just change the lyrics. But they really love the spirit of that worldly music is the truth a lot of times. And so they weren't even, they're not even bothering to change the lyrics. We're just going to play rock and roll because we like it and God gave us the ability. And so she wrote in and said, shouldn't I leave that church? And he said, well, I, I, don't, I don't see the problem with that. He goes, as long as they're not doing Stairway to Heaven or something, and I'm like, why did he even just pick that song? I mean, I could think of a lot of songs that they shouldn't be doing. you know. But just the whole idea, is it not the house of God? Is it not the short time we come away to worship God together? So I'm just saying the slide is so there. And God is really looking for a people he can shine through. And, you know, as it gets darker, people are ready. They're ready for the light. There's a lot of people that are really, really ready for Jesus. We were at a Tuesday prayer meeting maybe three or four weeks ago, and there was a young lady up here asking. Lori was praying with her over her family, and I went up to join them in prayer. And when I did, I saw this big field, just this big field. And I saw it just becoming flooded with water. And I felt that the Holy Ghost said, I'm flooding the field. I'm flooding the field. I'm preparing the hearts. And what I felt the Holy Spirit said was he was doing his part, that he was beginning to deal with the lost, to flood and saturate their hearts. As you know, if you've done any gardening, any farming, the ground has to be moist to work with. It's got to be broken up. It's got to be pliable. So the Holy Spirit is flooding the field of the lost, the very, very uh, political situations and uncertainty of our day and, and the stock market, which is not done, falling. All of that, the Holy Ghost uses that. People begin to look upward. People begin to wonder. And it's our job to be there to work the field. He's doing his part. We need to pray. We need to press in. We need to remember who he really is, who we really are. I've got a bunch more scriptures, but I'm going to stop right there. Remember who he is. Remember who we are. Remember what he said to do. In the Old Testament, they were to be a people that, that were different than everybody else to show the whole world that God was. In the New Testament, we're to go out and tell everybody that the salvation of this mighty God is available to them. And the enemy and the spirit of this world would put us to sleep, would coat us in this thick numbness that we could go day after day and not be serious about this relationship with God that will carry us into the fields. And God is saying, let me wake you up. Arise and let me give you life. Arise and let me give you life. Arise and let your light shine. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that it would have its way inside of us, Lord, that you would take away the numbness of our minds. God, give us ears and hearts to hear you as we walk by the way. That Holy Ghost that was sent to bring to remembrance everything you ever said, Lord, let us listen to him. Let us make place and time and space for him where we can hear him, Lord God, that you might lead us in this way, that we might lead others in the way everlasting. Lord, have your way in this revival. Wake up us, your people. Bring in the lost, Lord God. Remember, remind us, remind the church and the world that you exist, that you made us all, that you're coming back again. You have a plan and a purpose. In Jesus' mighty and holy name, amen.
we are to remind ourselves, let us stir ourselves up. Stir up in remembrance. Hallelujah, the things that Christ has done for us and the purposes. Hallelujah, for what God has called us. Yes, to be that light shining in darkness. And I pray that, Father, we keep an open eye and ears, spiritual eyes, spiritual ears, yes. to the things that are taking place. Not only, yes, God, during this camp meeting, but as it carries on, hallelujah, to remind ourselves of the word of God and how quick and powerful, yes, God, and the meaningfulness of each thing that, Lord, you speak to remind ourselves that there's a purpose in everything that you have said. There is no waste in your word. Everything has a specific purpose. Yes, God. Father, this is your will. And we need, yes, God, as Sister Betty has put so well right up to stir up our spirits and our hearts. Praise God. And so we thank you. And we will bless you. Within us, Almighty God, bless us now. Praise God as we separate and bring us back together again tonight, seven o'clock. Hallelujah! To your glory, your praise, and your honor. And we'll just thank you for it in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. 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 Hallelujah.